Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed that hour with Dr. Mark Muska. I know I did. I'll have to go back and listen to it because I didn't uh, get all the answers as much as I wanted because I'm busy when I'm in the studio taking your calls and getting the next question ready. So I'm looking forward to going back and hearing it again. I always encourage that. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Go to the Afternoons with me webpage and you can hear any podcast, any show that you've heard Sometimes it's helpful to hear it again. Did I hear that right? That's what what I think sometimes. So it's always good to go back and hear it again. This hour is going to be wonderful. My friend uh, David Wheaton is going to be joining me in just a minute. And then Kim Cattola is on the program as well in this hour. So we are going to uh, resume the book of Genesis with David. I've been loving this and I can't wait to get back to it. So we'll take 60 seconds and bring him on. Hi, I'm Jim Daly with Focus on the Family. Churches and places of worship around the world have closed to ward off the spread of coronavirus. But thanks to technology, groups can still worship together online. In the coming weeks, as tensions escalate, people of faith will be called upon to serve and be a comfort to others. And online church services will be a medicine for the mind and soul. So remember, together, we'll get through this. How are you holding on to hope these days? I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen, and this Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Central, I'll be joined by my other faith radio host, Susie Larson and Bill Arnold, for a special hour of prayer and testimony with you. So plan to join us. We want to hear from you and pray with you this Saturday, April the 4th, from 9 to 10 a.m. Central. You're going to call us at 877-933-2484 for a live hour online of testimonies and prayer. Welcome back to the show. David Wheaton is my guest. You can go to thechristianworldview.org to hear any of his outstanding programming, podcast, and get information about his books and his writings and his speaking. It's all right there at thechristianworldview.org. Well, David, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you today on this, uh, this significant day, April 1st, Bill. Exactly. Now, David, as I say, uh, I love <laughs> I love getting <laughs> back into business as usual because we're hearing so much news all the time on on COVID nineteen and and frankly I, I want to get back to just studying God's word and and I love doing it with you. So what, what do you say we crack open uh, Genesis and and go back to uh, how Genesis is so relevant for today? I I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So let's go. Uh, Let's just do a little uh, quick refreshment here. The key, let's talk about the key point from the last time we talked that kind of led up to the flood. Yeah, that was in Gen. We kind of went over Genesis 5 and 6. Now, we're not going verse by verse through Genesis. We'd be here for a few years here, but just trying to get some of the high points as we go through these early chapters of Genesis and why uh, what's established early on in the Bible is so relevant to us, our lives today. Well, I'll just say three things from last time. Basically, Genesis 5 gives a genealogy from Adam to Noah. 
So this is leading up to the huge global flood catastrophe that's about to happen. And so uh, Moses, inspired by God, gives his genealogy because everyone's going to be gone here coming up except for eight people, mm -hmm. Noah and his family. And so the people reading this afterwards are going to want to know what took place and who was, who came before us before this incredible catastrophic flood happened. So he establishes that in Genesis 5, establishes the fact, reestablishes the fact that he's the creator we're made as he made as male and female. Again, it, it's establishing that God is the authority. Man is accountable to God. Humans are different than all other creation. We're made in God's likeness. We're meant to be in relationship with him. He made us male and female. That what God establishes doesn't and shouldn't be changed. And so he's establishing these basic things. And secondly, uh, we talked last time about how people live such long lives before the flood. You know, Methuselah was 969 years old. That's a very long life. Well, that's because the environment before the flood was very different than ours today. There was probably, it sounds like, and I don't know exactly this, but some sort of maybe water canopy above the earth. And it talks about that the floodgates you know, came down from above when the flood happened. So there might, there might have been some sort of water canopy above the earth that blocked all the ultraviolet rays. So there's this super healthy condition to live. Had never rained. People's genetic DNA was near perfect as it was from the very beginning with it with Adam and Eve. So that probably explains why they lived so long before the flood. But then after the flood, lifespans drastically reduced. All of a sudden, not long after the flood, you have Abraham's only living 175 years only. And then from then on, it was really down to what we have today, 70 or 80 years. And the final thing is, as we lead up to talking about the flood today, was in Genesis 6 about this odd passage bill where it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves. This is in the early part of Genesis 6. And they, well, what, what is that? What does that even mean? And uh, it, it's about that actually about the first instance of demon possession in the Bible, that demons were in, in, in possessing men and then they would they would procreate with women. And this this passage is referenced in the New Testament a couple times. So it must be significant I think it's sort of the tipping point. When, when God looked down on the earth in Genesis 6, it says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that, and that, that phrase is repeated throughout Genesis 6 and verse 11 and verse 13. And, and it's this tipping point of what occurred there. It wasn't just that incident with these demon possession, but that was sort of the point at which God said, okay, this is going to end. I'm sorry that I've made man. I'm going to destroy the entire earth. So that's the lead up we talked about last time to the flood. All right. So all along, though, God continued to show patience for a fair amount of time prior to the flood. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, uh, you could just say, well, God is the God of judgment here and he's going to he's very capricious and so forth. Well, uh, he says here in, in Genesis chapter uh, six, he said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. In other words, he's saying this, this judgment of the flood is going to come upon all mankind, but it's not going to happen five minutes from now. I'm not going to drop the hammer right now. I'm going to do it 120 years from now. In other words, he gave people 120 years to repent of their sin and their rebellion against God. While Noah was building this ark and he was preaching to people to repent and be saved, he was God was incredibly patient 
and merciful during this time when he was, he looked down upon the sons of men, saw how wicked it was. He waits and waits and waits. And also it says about what he thought of Noah. It says he found, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, that Noah was a righteous man and blameless in his time. And Noah walked with God. In other words, during this time of great wickedness, there's always a remnant that God has of of those, and it's open to whomever would seek the Lord with with all of our hearts. I mean, Noah wasn't sinless. He wasn't a perfect person, but he was forgiven and he was obedient. He was in close relationship with God. May that same thing be said about us. In the midst of a wicked and perverse generation like we have today, there are some who will heed God's call to repent and believe in the gospel and be in right relationship with him and, and walk with him on a daily basis like Noah did. Mm. And Noah and his sons took a fair amount of ridicule over all that period of time as they were yeah. building the ark and also pro- proclaiming that uh, sinners needed to repent. Yeah, I mean, think about that. There, It had never rained on the earth, mm-hmm. and God tells Noah to build this gigantic boat. <laughs> and there's no there's no lake nearby or mm-hmm. anything like that. They're just building this boat on dry dock, basically. And can you imagine the reaction of the people around him in his time? Well, why, why are you doing that? It's never right. There's no, where's that boat going? What are you doing? And meanwhile, Noah has such great faith in God that this was going to come to pass. God had, had declared there was going to be a flood and the world was going to be destroyed. Noah believed God and started building this ark. And for that many years, it wasn't like he was going to do it next week. Hurry up and build the ark. It was going to be 120 years before this took place. Again, just showing the patience and uh, of God and the willingness that he mm-hmm. will wait and give people another opportunity, another day, another year. But um, it's a great, it's a powerful story of God's patience and faithfulness and, and Noah's faithfulness. Absolutely. That's what's amazing about the flood is that you have the story of God's judgment. Of course, it's about God's judgment. He's going to destroy all flesh from the earth. Mm. You know, man and everything that breathes air is going to die. But at the same time, and we're going to see as we talk more about this too, that there there is this 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 aspect of God's character that He's patient, He's long suffering, He's loving kindness, He's willing to save even in the midst of this impending judgment. Yeah. All right, David. Let's talk about the evidence of a world flood. I, I think every society has some historical record of a world flood throughout all of history, don't they? Yeah. That that's really the first evidence is that. Uh, there's hundreds of flood legends across various people groups across the world. And so apparently this was, not apparently, it was such a catastrophic event that, you know, a- after it took place and Noah and his sons and the daughter-in-laws began to have children, and they spread out across the earth. The, the, this, the, the memory of this particular time was passed on to, to peoples all over the world. So that that's a, a very good indication of that. And then they all have the the same, you know, they're not all identical, of course, but they all have the idea of a, you know, a higher power, a God. They're not all obviously the Christian God uh, judging the world by flood. So, you know, th- this flood, by the way, is is disputed, of course, by you know, secularists today. And, and many even more liberal Christians would say this is not a real event, but the Bible never treats it that way as not a real event. This is an actual event that happened on the earth, not just locally, but globally. And, and the Bible says that the highest mountains in the world, I mean, the Himalayan mountains, you wherever, uh, were covered uh, in 22 feet. It actually gives an exact, you know, depth underwater, over 22 feet underwater, the highest peaks. Wow. And you can imagine that water was all over the earth, and then running, running off. Noah was on the ark for more than a year, 
So you can just imagine how this changed the face of the earth for the whole entire earth to be filled, covered with water, and then running off over this period of this year. It completely changed the hydrology of our environment, the the, the geography of the world. I, I think that back then is probably likely that there was really one mass continent. And after the flood, it totally reshaped uh, the dynamic of the earth and turned it into more what we what we see today. I think the other last evidence is just the fossil record. You can imagine if everything sort of died at one time during this flood, you know, there should be massive amounts of fossil graveyards, not some uniform death layers in the sediments and so forth. And that's exactly the way what we find. There's actually marine fossils found on the top of every major mountain range in the world. I mean, how did they get there? So there's lots of evidence geologically uh, for this global flood taking place. I think even if you look at the Grand Canyon, that wasn't formed by a little river going through it over millions and millions of years. <laughs> there was point. some sort of catastrophic event that happened, that water running out, only something so catastrophic that we couldn't even imagine in today the way the water runs off. It was formed, you know, ice age following the flood and so forth could could really, you know, craft a crater going through the Grand Can uh, Canyon like that. Mm -hmm. Let me take a little break. David Wheaton is my guest. Head over to thechristianworldview.org, and we'll be back in 90 seconds. is my guest talking about the book of Genesis and how it's so relevant for today. And right now we're just still discussing the global flood that comes out of chapter 7 and 9. And there is evidence for a worldwide flood. Um, and now let's move on to the, uh, the whole idea of the animals showing mm. up two by two. Yeah, <laughs> the explanation for that, Bill. <laughs> if you have uh, one, I would love it. Well, well, it's a pretty short one. Okay. It's a, mir it's a miracle. There you it's go. It's supernatural. It's, it's for the, the, in the same way that God spoke the world into existence, just speaks things and they appear, in the same way that Jesus walked up to people who were blind and healed them, in the same way he rose from the dead and everything else, this is just a miracle of God. There's no, there's no human natural explanation for it. This is a tenet of biblical Christianity that we don't believe in just a naturalistic world where there's only things that are natural. We also believe that there's a, a supernatural world as well that God controls. So this is just a supernatural miracle of God. And by, and by the way, there's also disputed, well, how would all the animals fit inside the ark? Well, that was really no problem. This ark was gigantic. As a matter of fact, some of your listeners may know about the fact that there's actually a life-size actual uh, replica of the ark. Uh, that has been has been created by the ministry Answers in Genesis in Ohio. It's called the Ark Encounter. It's this gigantic theme park closed right now because of the coronavirus. But uh, I, I have never been there, but I guess it's just amazing to go there and see the Ark. It's just a huge thing. And so all of the land animals that come in twos could could fit inside the the ark, of course, fish and so forth weren't in the ark. They were underneath the the ocean or the seas when the when the when the rain was falling when the flood happened. But bigger animals, dinosaurs back then would would have been likely represented by their young, not their full size adults. So this is all explainable. Now I can't explain how they came in twos and walked into the ark. That's a supernatural aspect, but they certainly could have fit all fit on the ark. Mm -hmm. Then of course you wonder 
when it comes to food management and feeding the animals and feeding themselves? And that was probably another miracle that we can't explain. Probably not. But there, again, there was enough space and they had 120 years to plan. And I'm sure God revealed things to Noah that he needed to do. And, you know, it was a one big boat. And it's not the little like, you know, kind of little boat with, you know, giraffe sticking their head out of the windows that you see in Sunday school classes. This is a massive ocean going ship that had three levels with all kinds of room and space for food and animals and, of course, Noah and his family. So, David, remind me what happened when the rainwaters started to get to the point where the people on Earth were panicking to then get in. Yeah, yeah, that would be a bit of a panic if you had never seen rain and all of a sudden right. it started to rain. You think, well, maybe what Noah had been saying for the last 120 years uh, is coming true. And I think this goes to the the misunderstanding of the character of God. You know, today God is pretty much pegged as he's a God of love and that's it. But that's misunderstanding God's character. And I think a really key passage to understand on this is, is in the Old Testament in Exodus, right after or when God's giving Moses after the flood here, the Ten Commandments. And the Lord says, the Bible says he passed in front of Moses and proclaimed. Now watch the both sides of God here. Says the Lord, this is the God talking about himself. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. So there's the, there's the, what we like to call the good part of God, the loving side of God. Now let God describe his other side. Yet, he says about himself, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That's not saying that God holds children and grandchildren responsible for the parents' sin, what it's saying is the sins of a father have ramifications uh, to successive generations. It's the principle of the leavening of sin in the world. There are consequences to sin, not just for our own lives, but for those who come after us. And so there is the accurate representation of God that he is compassionate and gracious and loving and abounding in, in truth and loving kindness. This is God. But he's also a God who doesn't leave the guilty un- unpunished. And so this is something really important to understand about not only the story of the flood, but about our lives here today. We tend to minimize our own sin and think we don't deserve to be punished for our sin, but this is not what the Bible says. This is not who God is. He's the ultimate just God, and yet he's just. He gives us what we deserve, but he also is willing to forgive us at the same time. So it really is, you have to understand that God is like two sides of the same coin, There's a a loving aspect of God, but then there's a just and judgment side of God as well that the Bible teaches throughout the entire Scripture. And I understand that and agree with it completely, but let's talk about the flood. Was that a little disproportionate punishment? (laughs) Were all but eight people? Yeah, I I think that that's what would be said about those who would would, would not believe in God or would criticize him, you know, for for doing this. He, He killed the whole world and for sinning against him. I mean, that that's a capricious, disproportionate punishment. Well, e- even in our huth- human existence, Bill, uh, the degree of punishment for a crime that we commit always corresponds with whom the crime is against. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if I tell a lie to my dog, there's there's no consequence of it, right? If I tell a, log to my, a lie to my child, 
well, you know, he maybe loses a little bit of trust in me, but he's too young possibly to understand. If I lie to my wife, now we have more consequences. Now I've lost trust with the one I'm married to. And But if I tell a lie to the IRS on my taxes, now I'm in a lot bigger trouble. <laughs> now I'm going to get fined. And if I tell a lie to a court uh, under sworn oath uh, to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, now I'm going to jail. Now, just imagine a much higher, an infinitely higher authority than a court of law here in the United States, God, who is infinitely holy and sovereign, sinning against him, even one time, merits the ultimate penalty of death and hell. Now, that may sound disproportionate, but look what the Bible says in James 2, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. In other words, we don't understand how much our sin is egregious to this holy God and his, his demand, his justice is so perfect that he won't let one sin go unpunished. And by the way, we don't want one sin to go unpunished. For someone, let's say, let's say someone murdered our spouse. We would never want that person to get away with it. And neither does God let us get away with any sin. But not only does he do that, he also doesn't let us get, get away with the sin, but he also provides a way we can be forgiven through sending his son to pay the penalty for us. That's the gospel, and that's why God is so gracious and so willing to forgive. Mm -hmm. So, David, do you see the flood as uh, actually showing God's patience and loving kindness? Absolutely. Think about it again. He gave man 120 years to repent. Mm -hmm. And it says in in, uh, Genesis 7, it says, those that entered, male and female of all flesh, they entered the ark as God commanded him. And it says this very interesting phrase, and the Lord closed the door behind Noah. The Hmm. Lord closed the door. There was only one door on the ark to be saved. You had to go through the door. Well, Bill, who else called himself a door in John chapter 10? Jesus said, I am the door. Mm -hmm. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so the message for us today, again, the relevance of this for us today is that we can be saved from the judgment that is to come. God is promising to bring judgment again in the future, not by flood, but by fire. When we stand before God someday, if we don't want to stand before him in judgment, if we want him to tell us, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into heaven, we need to enter through this one door of Jesus Christ by repenting of our sin and believing in him as Savior and Lord, we too can be saved. All right, David, we're out of time, but... uh... I still want to. I still want to talk about the the rainbow and and God's covenant uh, with man after the flood. Maybe we'll uh, pick up there next time we talk. Let's do it. All right, David Wheaton has been my guest. Head over to thechristianworldview.org. You can hear any of David's podcasts or uh, get more information about David and his books. They're all excellent. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Kim Cattol is going to be joining us. I'm looking forward to chatting with her.
Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to be talking to Kim Katola again. I always love chatting with her. There's a lot to chat about. Kim, welcome. Hi, Bill. Good to talk with you, too. Good to talk with you. How are you holding up amidst all of this? No problems whatsoever. Oh, we uh, moved We moved cross-country. I know, you went to Arizona. Febru- yeah, end of February. And so we've been, like, wanting to be home setting up house. Nice. <laughs> so... I uh, have so much empathy for those who uh, don't have a good living situation, needed to maybe have better housing. You know, Bill, it's just um, such an opportunity for us to pray and exercise as much generosity as we can. Yeah. Have you been in Arizona during the dead of summer? We... We plan to move uh, north and be snowbirds and switch locations. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> Seasonally, so yes. Because I was there. there when, some grant. I was there once in the Go summer ahead. when it was like 118, and oh, of course yeah. everybody tells you it's dry heat, but you know, <laughs> uh, that doesn't seem to console yeah, no. me very much. One summer we got a really good deal on a black rental car. I think it was August. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we actually burned our hands on the door handles. That does not surprise so, me at all. Yeah, I'm a little bit familiar with the Arizona heat, but yeah. it's beautiful right now. It's it's creeping up into the upper 70s, low 80s, very, very beautiful weather. And people are out walking, biking, um, and pretty much exercising social distancing. Governor Ducey just issued a stay-at-home order that took effect 5 o'clock yesterday. Many people were upset he didn't go further and he didn't do it earlier, but uh, they are asking us to now, you know, limit public gatherings and all the things that have been in place in Minnesota for a week or two now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, and in other states as well. So, Yeah, well, I would love to talk a little bit about some pro-life news that's going on right now amidst all that we're uh, experiencing. I, I think Planned Parenthood in Pennsylvania announced that their facilities are open for abortion services only right now. What happened to all the well, health things that they do for women? <laughs> So that plays into one of their longstanding talking points, Bill, which is the urgency of the need for abortion. So if a woman is pregnant and desires an abortion, they will often pressure her that she must do it immediately, uh, which is one of the ways that they get women to, um, you know, feel pressured that they that they exert subtle or overt uh, pressure on women. You've got to do this right away. And, you know, it's a time-sensitive procedure. And, of course, you know, if you are 10 weeks along and you have to wait two weeks to schedule an abortion, now you may be slipping into the second trimester, depending upon how confident you are of the gestational age of the child. So uh, there is a time sensitivity that, uh, you know, that attends to every abortion decision. And that's that's the way that they've prevailed, for example, I think, with Governor Walls in Minnesota. Uh, who uh, recently decided that abortion is essential health care for that reason. Mm-hmm. And Chanel Rion, who is a White House correspondent for One America News Network, I thought she had quite a uh, compelling question to President Trump. And she made this statement and this question, 2,405 Americans have died from the virus in the last 60 days. Meanwhile, you have 2,369 children who are killed by their mothers through elective abortion each day. That's 16,500 children killed every week. Two states have suspended elective abortion to make more resources available. 
Should more states be doing the same? Pretty bold question. It's, it is a question that all of us need to answer in our hearts, Bill, because, of course, you know, our elected officials are charged with carrying out the will of the people and the law as it's written. And those figures, while they're, you know, horrifying, disgusting, unsettling, disturbing, uh, are all legal. That's all happening under the cover of law here in our country. And so, you know, having put that decision in the hands of the individual woman, uh, what can an elected official say in response to women, you know, exercising that legal option that they have? Uh, but I think it, it really is a question that that should stir our conscience as individuals and should make us zealous to protect those lives where we're living. Because abortion isn't just happening in D.C. where policy is made, right? It's not just happening at the state legislature, state capital. It's happening in our neighborhoods. It's happening with our neighbors. And if we could only see, as the Lord does, if we could only see children before their birth as our neighbors, I think more of us would be motivated to do more to help them. Mm-hmm. Kim, what was your thoughts when Governor Andrew Cuomo from New York was been talking about how every life is valuable and there's no price tag we put on it, and yet he signed this, you know, the abortion rights bill and New York celebrated? Uh, again, uh, you know, there's there. there <laughs> you want to talk about it as a spiritual proposition, I Bill? Do. Yeah. I think his eyes have been blinded by the kingdom of this world and its rulers. You know, I mean, I think that he cannot see the child before birth, before his or her birth, as a human life. I hope that that's the reason. I hope that he's not a madman or a diabolical evil person who sees them and says, you know, let their lives be damned. I mean, I think that people who appear to operate in good faith are under this strong delusion that these are not human beings. And there's no rational scientific support for that view. There's no evidence. The scientific evidence, of course, all points to the full humanity of children before their birth at every stage of life. But I can only say, I think that spiritually, you know, the eyes of his hearts have been blinded. And I don't know, you know, we know that God's word says God gives us over to our, you know, sinful desires and that it's a very fearsome thing. I pray that, you know, that that would not be something that we would, and any of us would fall captive to, um, you know, our own desires, because at some point, I think, you know, and, and I think about that, Bill, and, you know, those of us who are parents know that there is a point at which you can stop lecturing and allow the child to make the mistake and feel the consequence. My granny used to say, let her go ahead. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Life's going to teach her uh-huh. what she refuses to learn from me, right? And I think that's why God gives us over at different points, right? Because, you know, only our grief and only our failure at some point can teach us the things that he and his goodness tries to teach us short of those things. So, yes, I mean, Governor Cuomo and all the elected officials, you know, and there have been there have been voices who have been saying this all along. Wow, how dare you say that you are in favor of drastic measures to protect human life when every day human life is being treated so cheaply under your watch? You know, and it's hard to watch those debates unfolding on social media, mm-hmm. you know, where things can happen at a distance, because it's very easy to dismiss the person who would dare to bring that up. 
and say, oh, you know, look, we're in a crisis. Can't you save your political statements for some other time? I mean, that's probably the mildest response you're going to get if you would point out that cognitive dissonance to people right now. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a very valid question. And, uh, you know, spiritually, we have to we just have to pray that God would open the eyes of their hearts. Yeah. Kim, Governor Bobby Jindal, and I think it was 2014, signed into law the Louisiana's Unsafe Abortion Protection Act, which is basically saying doctors who provide abortions must have admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles. That seems pretty wise, uh, even though I hate abortion. It should never happen. But now the Supreme Court is hearing this case again, and the opponents are saying that... uh, it's going to create uh, a dangerous environment for women. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, this was the battle in Texas, right? And Texas uh, abortion rights advocates prevailed. They said that's ridiculous. You know, it's one of the safest procedures. You don't need admitting privileges, and admitting privileges is way too complicated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They threw up everything that they could get to stick to the wall. Right. Uh, And the justices agreed in Texas that, okay, it's safe enough. Not enough women are dying from legal abortion that we need to require those admitting privileges. And we'll see what happens with the Louisiana case. But all you have to do, Bill, is Google, you know, women harmed by legal abortion. Just are some such phrase. And you'll find case after case after case of women being maimed, of women losing their fertility and, yes, even losing their lives. And it's absolutely uh, a procedure that can function a woman's vital organs and lead to all sorts of deadly uh, complications. And uh, I think that it's absolutely reasonable to say that the doctor should be uh, in a position to accompany a woman to uh, a medical facility if they harm her. But see, that's the thing. If, if Most people don't understand when the abortion industry sells it to us as healthcare, they don't understand that there's nothing on site to help a woman if something like that occurs. And it's not that unusual for a uterus to be perforated, for example. But what do they do? They put a woman in an ambulance and they say, do not call this clinic back. Wow. Talk, to whoever you, talk to whoever you can at the emergency facility. And they hope that she gets there in time. And oftentimes they try to obscure um, the fact that medical care is necessary. If they can avoid an ambulance, they'll never have one, of course, showing up at their facility. So it's not unreasonable at all, Bill. And I think if abortion rights advocates truly had women's best interests and real health care in mind, this would not be an objection that anybody would raise. It's just horrifying what you just described, Kim. I, I can't. I hate that. Well, uh, you know, people who have been doing the yeoman's work of exposing the medical dangers of abortion um, are Troy Newman and Cheryl Selinger at the Operation Rescue website. And, you know, of course, they've been um, vilified in the mainstream press and elsewhere as being abortion, you know, uh, anti-abortion zealots or whatever label you want to put on them. But just read the documentation and they present it as reporting and documentation of women being harmed, maimed, uh, medically impacted in abortion businesses every day, certainly on a weekly, on the weekly here in our country, every week, you know, someone being, being 
in a medical emergency because of safe legal abortion. And you will never feel the same way about it, I don't think, especially about this issue of admitting privileges. Mm. Are there some uh, pro-life movements that we haven't heard about yet that we need to be aware of and be praying about and praying for? Well, one thing that I'm really encouraged about, I saw a newsletter from uh, one of the leaders in the pregnancy health community who said that in this new stimulus package, pregnancy health organizations stand to benefit greatly by um, people's tax donations if they're able to make them at this time. I realize many people you know, can't think about giving right now with um, their own personal finances being impacted. But, um, yeah, there is... Uh, there is a change to the charitable giving rules that would allow you to help pregnancy help organizations. And it's more important than ever that we do that, Bill, because, you know, the, the, I think it's eight states now that have managed to ban abortion as non-essential health care. And in those states, you know, those, these women are going to need the pregnancy health community more than ever. And, of course, you know, those centers that are operating as medical facilities with ultrasound have nurse managers and physicians that they consult with, and they have real expenses that are involved with helping women see a pregnancy through. So I think that the pregnancy health community is not new, but it's definitely worthy of our support and our prayers and our giving as we're able. Mm -hmm. Kim, let me take a short break. Kim Katola is my guest. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Katola is my guest. She's author of the book, Cradle My Heart, Finding God's Love After Abortion. Kim, you know, I might need a bio update on you. If you've moved uh, to Arizona, are you still uh, with the abortion recovery services? I am not. At this point, um, I'm looking to volunteer. Okay. And and, uh, there is a pregnancy help organization in Glendale, Arizona, where we live now. Mm -hmm. And... uh, As soon as things get settled down just a bit, I intend to uh, certainly look into giving and perhaps volunteering there as well. Of course. So with an election coming up, and there's, I think, 19 or 20 million pro-life Democrats, how do you think candidates will be treating that issue with their constituency? Well, I think that, you know, this insistence that abortion must remain essential health care, it shows you and, and think about what how um, Democrats behaved around the crafting of the stimulus bill, trying to put money for Planned Parenthood in that bill, right? I mean, it, it is it's a huge plank in their platform, and I don't know if um, you can go so far. You know, if if I were more a cynical person, I would call that pandering. Mm-hmm. You know, to to women who are not as um, well-informed as they might be on this issue as to who is really profiting when abortion is couched as essential health care, who is really um, in favor of women's overall health, well-being, and uh, having a good life. You know, uh, that's, I guess, my opinion is that the Democrats, I think, are very, very cynical about this issue. And, you know, by telling women that they are in favor of them. 
and that abortion must be kept legal at all costs. And, you know, trying to keep it at the top of the agenda when the nation is trying to come together to fight, you know, this coronavirus pandemic, uh, I think you're not going to see it slowing down at all from them. I think that it remains something that they uh, that they see as um, something that they must have and must offer to get the female voters that they, you know, are relying on. Mm-hmm. Kim, a Minneapolis politician had some, what they were saying, good news to offer amidst all the other bad news that we're dealing with. And they were sitting on their couch in their house and they held up an ultrasound and said, we're having a baby. I thought, isn't that interesting? Um, this politician, I would probably say, is quite liberal. And I would guess pro-choice, but I don't know that for a fact. Um, but I found it interesting uh, w- words to say we're having a baby when they're just showing up an ultrasound picture. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, we've just fallen in love with our fetus. Right. You know, I, I think I told you about, you know, a conversation with a young woman who is extremely pro-choice in her view. And uh, much like the, you know, defenders of slavery called slavery a peculiar institution, Right. Uh, well, of course, it violates human rights, but it's a peculiar institution because the South needed it for its economic survival, right? So, I mean, I think this is how women skirt the humanity of the unborn. It's a peculiar situation mm-hmm. that a woman is the place where the baby's growing and living. And so, you know, that bodily autonomy, which is the whole basis for all of it, Bill, which, excuse me, I'm not allowed to stand more than six feet closer to you right now. What if I want to stand three feet closer because there's something I want to see there. Well, I'm going to be, you know, (laughs) people, you know, it depends where you are, right, as to who's going to enforce that six-foot social distancing. But there, right there, tells you we don't all, any of us, have any kind of absolute bodily autonomy. Our autonomy ends when we begin to impact the life of another. But anyway, this woman and I were talking about, you know, what are the limits of bodily autonomy? And I said, you know, just imagine if you showed your ultrasound to your parents and said, you're going to be a grandparent. And the parent said back to you, oh, I see you have a fetus growing inside you. Well, after you give birth to this fetus and it becomes a baby, come back to me and then we'll help celebrate with you. Right. You know, of course, you know, she looked like I was a a crazy person or I was, you know, um, she became very angry because, you know, that's an absurd reaction. And anyone would be very hurt if you tried to share your excitement over your love, which is already growing in your heart as your child is growing in your womb. You would be very upset and hurt if someone were to treat you that way and dehumanize your child to you. Uh, but that's what happens, of course, with every abortion and with all the rhetoric surrounding the lives of children before they're born. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we want all abortions to stop. I wish there was never one in the first place. But a small piece of news in the right direction is abortions have declined in, in I think, nearly every state, according to a recent uh, survey. Right. And, you know, if you, uh, again, Google New York Times turn away study. And they looked at women who were not able to get abortions, whether it took too long and then the pregnancy was too far advanced or they just didn't have the money or the access. Um, And you'll find that there were some, you know, adverse outcomes in the short term. 
But you will also hear women talking about how those children that they thought they needed to abort saved their lives once they were born. It's an amazing study because wow. it was it was conducted by abortion rights advocates, I believe, at University of uh, California at San Francisco, which is Warren Buffett's abortion laboratory. Hmm. He pays for all the research that happens there, and it's most certainly biased science. Uh, I shouldn't say all the research. He's a big donor. Um, I don't want to overstate, right? <laughs> right. But, but I'm just saying it's biased science. It's coming out of UC San Francisco. But they had they reported in their findings that women's lives aren't devastated by a baby. Uh, in fact, women very ha- very often have very surprising positive outcomes when they are turned away from being able to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. And again, the question remains for us: What will we do to help her? You know, if abortion is off the table, it doesn't mean it's going to stop happening, Bill. You know, right now, women can find abortion online and get the pills. You know, if, if, if it becomes illegal, it's still going to be happening. And there are still, you know, there's still going to be a need for a response within that woman's community circle of influence and broader family, the human family. Mm-hmm. And if we can't help her to have that child and realize that her fears uh, can be diminished as we help bring hope by the offer to stand with her and walk through it with her. If we aren't willing to do that, then a grave part of the responsibility for every abortion decision rests with us as well. Kim, we just have about three or four minutes left. I'd love for you to wrap up our time with sharing a really encouraging, hope-filled story that maybe has come out of women that you have talked to, have maybe in your book, something that just leaves us feeling encouraged? Well, I think that, you know, Bill, some of the most encouraging stories I know are of women who were encouraged to abort by their doctors because of some condition that was detected before birth, whether it would be trisomy 21 or whether it would be, you know, some other just fetal anomaly. And, you know, some of the women bravely said, I don't want to test any further. Some of the women um, were unable to obtain an abortion because of where they lived or various other reasons. But so many of these women have said that this child has become the greatest joy of their lives, even as we live in a society, Bill, that still says those children are less than. And so, I mean, for me, this just shows that we we serve a sovereign good God, and he is the author of life. And as we trust him, and as we come together, you know, as a human family to uphold one another in the difficult times, I think that um, we see the truth of God's word, which tells us that every child is a blessing. Every child is a blessing. And I do love those stories, and I I love the the brave women that and some have been in life and death situations where they've chosen to continue to be pregnant at the risk of their own life. And I've, I've heard stories of women that were facing either start chemo and abort the baby or continue to give birth and forego the chemo. And they said, I want to give life. Well, my favorite short story is young Jackson, who his mother was told to abort. There was no possibility that he would survive beyond a few hours. And she said, I want to give him every chance. And young Jackson did die indeed after nine hours after his birth. 
And when we were there for his funeral, it was at a small church, small enough that there was um, only, you know, a very small cemetery that the church used that was right next to the church. But the day of his funeral, Bill, a woman was being buried who was 100 years old. And it was so striking that in God's eyes, both lives are equally valuable and meaningful. Mm. And you know, into, into eternity, each of them has had an impact that will continue to live on as long as anyone alive remembers either one of them. And so, yeah, we don't get to decide what is a life worth living, what is a life worth giving birth to. We don't get to decide that. And when we trust God, he so rewards us. He so rewards us. And um, I just encourage anyone needing help to find a pregnancy help organization in your area. They're all around the United States. Mm-hmm. And look just and again, look for more encouraging stories at PregnancyHelpNews.com or the CareNet website, Bill, because women's stories are being told there every day of women mm-hmm. choosing life and finding hope. Kim, thank you so much. Always great to talk to you. Have a great rest of the day, and good luck getting all your stuff situated in your house. <laughs> good to talk to you, too, all right, Bill. thanks. Kim Cattola has been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks to everyone, Dr. Mark Muska and David Wheaton and Kim Cattola. What a great day. What a great show. I hope you have a wonderful night. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.